Acts chapter number 12. And when you find your place in Acts chapter 12, let's all stand together as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Acts chapter 12. We're going to read the story here about how Peter was delivered from prison when Herod uh, the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And we're going to see what the the Lord did here. Acts chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. But the Lord had a plan for Peter, didn't he? He wasn't ready for Peter to, to go. You know, you can have the whole government uh, of the world against you, bearing down on you, and if God's not ready for you to go, He'll make a way. Amen? Amen. And here, um, verse number 4, And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison. Uh, doesn't tell you what he was charged with, does it? Just went and arrested him. Apprehended him, he put him in prison. And delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Sixteen soldiers around him. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made. Amen. Without ceasing of the church unto God for him. I imagine like they, they did like we have done at times where we... Set a, set a schedule, and there was always someone praying for over the course of five or six or seven days at all times without ceasing uh, for Peter while he was in there. Uh, praying to God without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Verse 6, And when Herod would have brought him forth, he's, gonna, he's right down to the wire, he's going to execute him. The same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Boy, they, they really were worried about him, weren't they? <laughs> Two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and the light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. I like that song by John Wesley, My chains fell off, my heart was free, I arose, went forth, and followed thee. Amen. Verse 8, And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out, and followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. You know, you've been woken up uh, before and you, you don't know if you're asleep or awake and you're stumbling around. Peter's like, man, is this a vision? Is this really happening? And it was shocking him even. Verse 10, when they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. Wow. Amen. The Lord just opened that door up. Amen. Amen. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me 
out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. All right, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. I'll ask now if Brother Paul will open us with a word of prayer. I thought of several different things to, um, to call this message and to look and to see and what it would fit. Um, and I looked at the times in my life that, as we read there in the last verse, in verse 11, it says, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent His angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And I thought about what to call this message, and I know there's been times where I've been bound by sin. I've been bound uh, by things, and I, you say, what, did, what were you desperate for? When I was lost, I was, I was desperate for deliverance. When I've been bound by sin, I've been desperate for deliverance. I wanted to, the answer, I wanted to be delivered. So I thought I'd call today's message, Desperate for Deliverance. Desperate for Deliverance. And maybe you, uh, like so many, have found yourself bound and found yourself in prison and found yourself in that place where um, you're happy. You might even be happy there. You're happy at the moment, but there comes a time when you get sick and tired of being bound up and being in bondage and being imprisoned and being a servant to sin. And you get sick of it and you get desperate for deliverance. Desperate. We're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at it uh, by way of studying this bondage and what God says, and uh, how, in particular, how here we read about an amazing example of how God's deliverance, it works. Amen? And if God wanted Peter out of bondage, all he had to do was say, Peter is free, and Peter would have been free, and it would have been so. Yet this account of the things that took place are recorded for our admonition, for our learning. And here we find some simple principles in the Word of God that take and show us the deliverance of God and how it works and how what we can learn from it. Amen? And so the things that we see is the first is the causes for being in bondage. The causes for being in bondage. And here in this case for Peter, it was unjustly. Unjustly or by mistake unjustly or by mistake. The first thing is, he wasn't put in there because he broke some law. He wasn't put in there. You say, what did he do? He was a circus act, if you will. You find Nero over there and you read your history and uh, you know why they arrested Christians and did that? Because they wanted to be there in the Colosseum. They wanted to see them burn and, and it's recorded that, um, that they captured Christians, they imprisoned Christians and they they dipped them in hot oil. They dipped them in oil, and then Nero would walk through his garden as they burned up on pedestals, and he would light his garden with Christians. That's what Nero did, and he was a god hater and a Christian hater, and he would arrest and do that. and And Herod here was um, his predecessor. He was a. Uh, they they had no use for Christians. And Herod here was, would have been the one that was starting it. And we thought Nero was bad, but he had some ones that were bad before him that killed Christians just because. And you say, what was going on? Peter was in prison for doing nothing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. He was in the will of God. The same can be said for John the Baptist. John the Baptist, say, what did he do? 
he spoke the truth. Philip, it's not lawful for, ha for you to have your brother's wife. Um, it's, not it's not lawful. And he, he told him, he told, uh, he told him, and he said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. And he wouldn't listen. And you say, what did he do? He shut up the messenger. That's what God's Word said. Uh, who else do you find there? You find Joseph, if you read the Scriptures. He was wrongly imprisoned. He, he had done nothing wrong. Yet, when he was just a lad, probably about 17 years old, he was sold into slavery and into imprisonment and bondage. And you also find Daniel. Daniel was wrongly imprisoned. He had done nothing wrong. He was doing right. And uh, you say, where did he find himself? He found him in the den of lions. He found himself in the den of lions. Put there by his comrades, by the ones that were equal to him in government. 120 of them all conspired against Daniel to have him in the, the, the lion's den. And here was the king. And the king came and he didn't want to follow through with it, but he was bound by uh, what he had signed. And he walked with Daniel as they put him into the lion's den. And he came there the next morning and he spoke to Daniel and he said, Does thy God whom thy serve, Daniel, able to deliver thee? And Daniel answered, He is able. Amen. He is able. Amen. Amen. The Lord's able to deliver. He's able to deliver you. And um, we see that sometimes we have to suffer wrongfully. Say, why are you preaching this now, preacher? Because we're coming up to the time where Christians all over the world, we're in a bubble here in Australia. But, but it may not last. That bubble may burst. And Christians may start going to jail just like Peter did unjustly. And you may find yourself in this position. And you may find yourself... Uh, unjustly and wrongfully accused. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. Hold your place in Acts. We'll come back there. But look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 19. And you would think that you notice where we're going to here. We're talking about Peter, and this is one of the books that he wrote. Amen. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 19, look what he says. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief. What? Suffering wrongfully. He'd know something about that, wouldn't he? Because that's what he was doing. He was suffering wrongfully. And many a time you read the stories of great Christians that were imprisoned, that were persecuted, that were arrested, and some eventually tortured and murdered. They, were done, they, they were endured those things wrongfully and unjustly. And, and Peter says, this is thankworthy. Verse 20, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even, here you go, hereunto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. 
When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You read the story of Darlene Rose and how she endured persecution and torture at the hands of the Japanese during World War II. How that they, she was a missionary in Papua New Guinea and how the Japanese turned up and they would beat her and they would, they would starve her. And you read her book and you read her story of how she still had compassion for the guards that would beat her until the point that her hair would not grow anymore in her, from her scalp. She had to wear a wig because she was going bald where she'd been beating her head so much by the Japanese. And she still had the compassion to pray for their souls and witness to them. Her persecutors and tormentors. If you've never read that book, you ought to get it of her testimony. We've got, the, got it on CD and, and that. And you want to hear one of the most powerful testimonies, Sister Darlene Rose. And uh, I think the name of her book is called The Things, of, is it, um, Things Not Seen? Evidence Not Seen, that's it. Evidence Not Seen. You can get her book and read about it. And man, what a blessing. We had the privilege of her coming to our home church in America in, uh, in um, tell you about Western Christianity. And we had the privilege of her coming to our home church in Carthage, Tennessee. And um, we had a man there to, that was scheduled. Brother Ron Ralph is our pastor. And his nephew, uh, Brother David Bratcher, went to go pick her up from the airport. She flew in to the airport and uh, she'd come there and scheduled to give her testimony. And how that God had delivered her and brought her through all those things. And uh, he, uh, Brother David Bratcher went and picked her up. And when he got to the airport, he, he looked at her and he had never heard her testimony before. So he looked at her and said, you know, who's this old woman? She's not very, you know, not very presentable looking. And, and here she is wearing a wig. He could tell straight away she's wearing a wig. And, and he didn't know the whole story and, and knew what she had been through. And he judged her based on that. And he tell, testifies to this end. And uh, he, said, he said that uh, she got to the part in her testimony and he brought her to church and spoke to her, you know, kindly and everything, but brought her to the church. And then she began to testify how that those Japanese would beat her about the head and the shoulders and, uh, until she went bald. And that's why she had to wear the wig. And he got down on his face and he crawled to the altar and repented for misjudging her and looking at her narrowly. And you know, some Christians, they think that the Christian life is, is just all flowers and sunshine and no dark days. But that's the Bible says you're called to these things. You're called to these things. And there's causes for being in bondage. And sometimes we have to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And it may not be in the next five years or ten years, but it may be in the next 15 or 20 years that we see it. At the decline and at the rapid rate that it's going, we could see it here in Australia. It's already happening in China. Brother Paul and I was switching, uh, we were, I was bouncing some articles back and forth. Just in 2019, there was a large church there. And the pastor and his wife, the communist government, got the idea that um, they didn't want that church there anymore. And so they had a large congregation, so they sent in the bulldozers. And the pastor and his wife stood there and wouldn't let them bulldoze the church unjustly and wrongly. 
So she stood there, having done all to stand. And they took the bulldozer and they bulldozed her to death. And that's just not a hop, skip, and a jumping away from here. They bulldozed her to death and murdered her. And you say, why? She stood there for the cause of Jesus Christ. Didn't want to see what they had worked for in their ministry and their life. And, and the name of Christ slandered. So she stood there. And you say, what did they do? They ran her over with a bulldozer and bulldozed her to death. And you say, the time might be coming where you have to suffer unjustly for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I can tell you this, that our labor and our work and our suffering in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Amen. God so promises. We must be very careful to use this excuse, not to use this excuse when justifying our bondage. Very few of us today are righteous enough to suffer wrongfully for the cause of Christ. There are folks who gauge their righteousness by suffering. Most of our suffering is self-inflicted. Be very careful. You know, and a lot of people don't get that. Yet, if you are wrongfully in bondage or wrongfully accused, the Bible says there in Peter that we commit our souls unto a faithful creator who is able to look after us and deliver us God's way. Amen? So that's one cause for being in bondage. You say, what else is? Well, the second thing is justly. The second thing is justly by sin. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You know, sin is a ball and chain. <laughs> and it's bondage in your life. Sin controls you. You never control sin. Some people are so addicted to sin that it tells them when to get up in the morning, when to go to bed at night. It tells them what to eat, what to drink, how to talk, how to think. And they're in such bondage to sin. And you say, what happens? Uh, you're under the control of sin. Sin controls you. People always get a hold of sin and say, no, no, I can control it. I don't know how many uh, people that drink alcohol says, I can put it down at any time. Well, why don't you? I can stop whenever I want. Well, why don't you? People talk a big talk, but you say, why? They're not in control. Sin is in control. Sin is in control. Paul told Timothy that those who don't acknowledge the truth can be snared by the devil and taken captive by him. Sin is bondage. If you could get something in your head, you could say sin equals bondage. You know what? I got some of the greatest advice, and I give it to young people, that, you know, you don't ever have to quit alcohol and, and, and come off of it if you never start. Right. If you never start smoking, you never have to put them down. Right. Amen? Amen? The best thing to do is avoid sin at all costs and leave it alone. Don't pick up the drugs. You say every drug addict and every dope addict that ever started started with one little bit of that drug and it got its hooks in them and grabbed hold of them. You know what happens with sin? Sin comes with a cost. Sin comes with a price. And a lot of people don't think nothing of it when they first start it. But the best advice you can ever get is don't start and you never have to stop. Amen? What has taken you captive? What has control over you? You know worry is sin? You thought I was going to say something bad, didn't you? Worry is sin. 
and bondage. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know what the world does? The world worries, but a Christian ought to pray. The world wrings their hands together and they fret. And God says, you can do something besides just wasting your time. Because your worry doesn't change a thing. But you know what can move the the heart and the hand of God? Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is not in vain. When you feel the need to worry about something and be concerned about something and be full of care and it overwhelm you, pray. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. You want to get deliverance from worry? Learn how to pray. Learn how to pray in place of worry. Pray. Commit it to God in prayer. And see which one comes up more profitable. I already know the answer. And if you know your Bible, you know the answer. The answer. And you say, well, what if I don't get my prayer answered? Well, the Bible says there in the same text in Philippians chapter 4, and, the God, uh, and God shall give you peace. The peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know what happens with worry? You have a heart that's all over the place. That has no peace, no contentment, no satisfaction. But in prayer you say, well, I've done what I could. And that's all you can do. I don't know about you, but I have these graphic thoughts sometimes that, that just are, are almost in horror of things that might happen. You know what Satan will do? Satan, the Bible talks about how he's going to mess with your mind and he's going to try to put things in your mind and you think, well, what if this happens to my family? Or what if that happens to our church? Or what if happens this and that? And you know what? That happened, that's going on in the church. That's going on. And, it's, and I can tell you right now, ladies are plagued with it more than men when it comes to what if and what about. And, and you can see that. And you say, what do you have to learn to do? The only way you're going to learn to combat that is when you have one of those thoughts. And I've, I've tried this over the years. You take those thoughts that you have, and the Bible says you bring them into obedience to Jesus Christ. You don't let anything that's high and exalted run away from you, but you bring it into captivity to Jesus Christ, and you bring it down. And you say, how do you do that? Through prayer. And you know what I do? Things that, that, I work, that, I, that comes there and I think, oh, that might happen. I say, God forbid that that horrible thing happened that I just pictured in my mind or it flashed across and it was trying to get in there somewhere and mess me up. Those thoughts. And I say, God forbid, Lord, if that's something that's going to happen, put a stop to it. Amen. You ever thought, maybe those thoughts are coming into your mind because that is a possibility it might happen and the prayer is the only thing that might be holding that back. I'm not talking about superstition here. I'm talking about spiritual warfare and things. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And maybe it is a warning. Maybe it's something there. And you say, what do you do? Commit it to God in prayer. And say, God forbid. God stop that from happening. If that's something that's going to happen, God stop it. I trust you. And I commit it to you. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Be careful for nothing. You say, why? Why don't I have to be careful for nothing? Because I'm casting all of my care upon Him. 
And if he can't do something about it, nobody or nothing can. Only he can. Amen? Amen. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's not, it's a sin. I ask you, Christian, what has taken you captive? What has control over you? Covetousness? You know, some people live their life based on the dollars and cents. They based on how big of a house that they're going to have. Based on how much money they can brag about being in their account and how much retirement savings they have. And they live their life in covetousness and material. Jesus Christ gave the example and told the story of the rich man that his crops brought forth abundantly. And he said, this rich man had his crops bring forth. And he said, there was not room to bestow all of his goods in this barn. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pull down these barns and I'll build greater so I can get more. And I can accrue more and get more interest and more fruits and more goods. And his thought was, I, me, and my, and more. You know what Jesus said to him? Thou fool, this night... Thy soul shall be required of thee. Then shall, who shall those things be which thou hast acquired? What's it going to matter? That's why the Bible says, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know what money can't do? It can't buy happiness. It can't buy you one more moment of time to live upon this earth. Money can't buy joy. It can't buy peace. Money can't do any of those things. And Jesus Christ said, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the things which he possesseth. And there are Christians today that are bound up in things and money and covetousness. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The Lord will take care of your every need. Amen. And He'll look after you in ways that you can't comprehend and understand. But you just trust Him and put Him first. Amen. Amen. You say, what else? People envy. And they're in bondage to envy. <coughs> envy, the Bible says, is as rottenness in the bones. Rottenness in the bones. People look at others and they see what they have and they envy them. They envy their quote-unquote, perfect life. Can I tell you a secret? Nobody has a perfect life. You know what I've learned? I'm 41 years old and I've learned this. Life has its ups and downs and life is messy. No one makes it out alive. Amen? It's a wild ride. Yeah. And you know what you're going to have? You're going to have days that are up and days that are down. But thanks be to God, I know who holds my hand and it's Jesus Christ. And He's with me in the ups and He's with me in the downs. Amen? And everything in between. You know why they delivered Jesus Christ? The Bible says they delivered Him for envy. They saw that He could draw a crowd of 5,000. And they couldn't get anybody to show up at the temple for them and their teaching because it was dead. And they delivered him 
They lied on him. They set up a kangaroo court and had false witnesses testify against him because they were envious of Jesus Christ. They're envious of Christ. And some of you are in bondage to envy this morning. It has rottenness in your bones. You can't enjoy the blessings of God and your good health and the money that you do have and the possessions that you do have and the, the roof over your head because you're too busy looking out your window at somebody that's got a two-story house and all you've got is a one-story house. They live in three stories and I only got one. There's no such thing as a perfect life contrary to social media. Social media wants you to think, ladies and gentlemen, that you get on there and you see somebody that's got a perfect household and perfectly behaved kids and they've got everything just right and just so. It's not so. And if you knew the whole story, you wouldn't want to trade life with this person or that person. The Bible says be content with such things as you have. Godliness, you want to simplify your life. You got envy as rottenness in your bones. The Bible says this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. 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 And better is little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and revenues and strife therewith. And they might have a three-story house, and I've seen people that have a two-story house, and there's no joy in it, no peace, no parents, no contentment. We drive by a nice big house. My wife would tell me the story. There, was, there were Christians, professing Christians. And the kids, all that they would eat is ramen noodles. They would just eat, that's all they would eat. And the, the parents were never there because both parents were working 12 hours a day, six, seven days a week. They ended up getting a divorce. The kids are not in church, not in the ministry, not serving the Lord. And you say, what they got? They got an empty big house for everybody to look and gawk at as they go by. Where's the house now? It's gone. Where's the kids now? Out of the church and out of the ministry. Where's the marriage? Gone! But we got our two-story house! You better not put it before God. What else? Idolatry. Idolatry. Some are in bondage justly by idolatry. They put things before God. Possessions. They put people before God. I don't know. I'm sick to death of hearing this. And I hear mothers say it more than anything. And I've heard some men say it too. You say, my kids mean more to me than anything else in this world. That's a wrong statement. My kids come first. My kids don't come first. God comes first. Amen. And see, some of you right there said, I've said that statement before. Yeah, you better make sure your words are right when you say it. Because if you put your kids before God and your children before God, they become your God. And when your, your kids do so, uh, something happens to those kids, you'll serve those kids and you'll worship those kids and you'll forsake church and you'll forsake God to please your kids. And I've heard wives say, Oh, I just worship the ground he walks on. You ought not. You ought to worship Jesus Christ. Amen. You don't worship the ground your wife works, uh, walks on or your husband. You say, who's first in your life? Not your wife and not your husband. God ought to be first in your life. Otherwise, you've got idolatry in your life. 
You see, you think just because you don't have a totem pole with faces carved out of an eagle and a cow and a bear and you don't have, you know, some saint sitting up in the corner, a little fat Buddha or a cat, you know, giving the black power sign, you think that you don't have an, an idol. But you've got different idols. You've got heart idols. God looks in your heart and He sees what you put before Him and it's idolatry. And you're in bondage to it. Jesus Christ can set you free. Amen? What about stubbornness? The Bible says stubbornness is as idolatry and an iniquity. Some are, some are stubborn. Stubborn when it comes to listening to God. Kai, I, I, boy, we can just keep on going, but there's lots of sins that are rooted and they cause you bondage. How about unforgiveness? Unforgiveness. I dare say in a room this size, in a crowd this size, there'd be some unforgiveness here. There'd be some unforgiveness. And you say, why are you preaching on this? Because you need to be reminded that you're in bondage and you chose not to forgive someone. And you chose that and you say, what'd you do? You got out your hammer and nails and you got the tools and you got the drawing board and you went and you designed your own prison. And you designed your own lock and you locked yourself in and you threw away the key and now everything that you see is in the bars of that unforgiveness and you judge everybody on that unforgiveness and the Bible says that unforgiveness leads to bitterness and bitterness springing up and thereby many be defiled. I've had people come to this church that were rooted in bitterness and they told me and said, Pastor, when I first come here, I looked around and I thought, these people can't be genuine. These people can't be as kind as they are and as nice as they are. They must be hypocrites. They must be putting on a show. You know why? They come from a place of bitterness. And the Bible says to the, to the ones that are defiled are all things defiled. You've heard, the, you've heard about looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. And you view everything because everything that you look at and you see is rose-colored. And you judge everything. And the problem's with you. It's not with the rest of everybody else. And you come to this church and say, the Spirit of God's not moving. Nothing's going on there. And it's because of your bondage and your sin. And it's not the church's problem, but it's your own. And you judge and you say, I'm not going back there. And you can't find a church to please you because everywhere you go, it follows with you. Because you've got those glasses on. And you're looking through those bars that you've constructed. It's justly by sin. What has taken you captive? What has control over you? Worry. Covetousness. Envy. Idolatry. Unforgiveness. Rebellion. Sexual sins. Well, I could park right there and preach for a while. The Bible says in this day and time, that is as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. You want to talk about a filthy time? The Bible says the men's, uh, back there in Noah's day, it says their, their minds and their thoughts, they're only evil continually. You're talking about a filthy time that we live in. It's filthy. Men's hearts and women's hearts are filled with filthy sins. Ambition, greed are forms of captivity that may be snaring you. Once in bondage to sin, you say, what do you need? You need God's deliverance, God's way. And you ought to get in there and realize you ought to get desperate for it. You know what Moses said when he was coming out of the promised land? He said, God, if you don't go before us and you don't go, if you don't go with us, he said, I don't want to go. 
Amen? He wanted to hold on to God. He had been in the presence of God so much that his face shone round about. And he said, God, if you go somewhere, I want to go with you. I want to stay close to you. And if you don't, if you don't go that way, I don't want to go. Amen? And that's what you ought to want. You ought to be desirous to be free. That's the ones that you're justly into. The next, the next one I'd like to say and the last point I'd like to make is the causes for being in bondage is unjustly or justly because you've sinned. And then the next one is by choice. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. And we'll be back in Acts, but 2 Peter chapter 2. Two Peter chapter two. The Bible says there in two Peter chapter two, and look down at verse number nineteen. Two Peter chapter two, verse nineteen. You know what you have all over this world right now in this day and age we live in? You have these people that are, that, that are called influencers. And they're trying to get people to follow them and be like them. The Bible rebukes that and says, Be ye followers of God as dear children. The Apostle Paul says, Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. And you know what the world does? They say, I've got this many followers. They stole the language from the King James Bible. You're supposed to be following Jesus Christ. You're supposed to be following. And you know what? You put those people before you. The Bible talked about old a lot when he went down there. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. You know when Lot moved down that way? He didn't live in Sodom to begin with. He recognized they were a bad crew and bad people. And he lived on the outskirts of town. But he pitched his tent that way. And then the next time you pick up Reed and you say, where is he? He's as a judge in the town at the, at the city gates in a place of preeminence and an authority. Say what? I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. David said. And you watch that stuff and it'll affect how you dress, it'll affect how you talk, and it'll affect how you think. And, and I hear young men following uh, the Tate brothers. Bunch of scum buckets. Muslims. Not Bible-believing Christians. And if that offends you, I hope you are offended. They're scum. Scum. That's who are the influencers. And they're scum. They're having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. They're fornicating filthy, vile scum buckets. And most of your Hollywood stars and most of your basketball and football and NRL players can join them in the lot. You don't like this preaching, you won't like Bible-believing preaching. And it's the truth. And you follow them, and you like what they like, and you desire what they desire. And you say, I like what this musician does, and that musician does. And they talk about, talk about filthy things with women, and filthy things with money, and filthy things with all this stuff. And you know, I like that stuff. It's because you're filthy-minded. And you're defiled, and you're in corruption, and you're in bondage. 
And even your heart and mind. And you know why you're offended right now? You say, I don't like the way he's talking right now. Because you're in bondage. And you can't see straight. And the Bible says in the last days, we're in the days of Laodicea, it says, anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And when somebody tells you what the, they see from the eyes of the Word of God, you reject it and you rebuff it. Because you're involved in it. Amen. Amen. If you want your ears tickled, you'll have to go somewhere else. Amen. 2 Peter chapter number 2. And I said 3 probably, but I meant 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 19. Say, why would you mention that? Look here. While they promised them what? Follow me and I'll show you how to make $10 million. Follow me and I'll show you how to have uh, liberty and freedom and you'll be sitting on a beach like I'm making this video right now traveling the world. No, they sold their soul to get there on that beach. They sold it by taking off their clothes and having no morals and having no truth in them. And that's how they got there. They sold their soul. And you love it. And you're involved in it. And you're following it. And you're liking it. And God says, God forbid. God is a holy God. Amen. Amen. And He says here, while they promised them who? Liberty. You'll have liberty like this. They themselves are the servants of corruption. For whom, for of a whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. You better get it. You better get it. Look at verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness. They want, 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 and lust. Those that were clean escape for them who live in error. You know what you're doing, Christian? You escape from that, and you're looking back, and you're salivating at what they have, and what they want, and you have to do what they did to get there. I like what Charles Spurgeon said when he said, Holy poverty is better than ungodly riches. Amen. 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 And you say, what do people do? Back to Acts chapter 12. They get into bondage by choice. They make an unjust mistake or justly by sin. and Bondage may come your way. But let's look at this passage, look at Acts chapter 12 and verse 5 and see how we may choose to stay in bondage. Look what there, it says there in verse 5. The Bible says, Peter therefore was kept in prison. Kept in prison. That's the early stages of sin that will allow you to function and live a normal life. Verse 5, the Bible says, prayer was made for him. Others, you know what? Others sometimes see your bondage even if you don't. And they pray for you. Others see it. Look at verse 6. When Herod would have brought him forth. Say so what happened? Bondage is dangerous. Your situation will get worse. You see you get a hold of that sin and you think I've got in control of it. But it will eventually take over. The Chinese have a saying about alcohol. and says this. Um, man take drink. You put it down. Then drink. Take drink. Then it says drink, take man. The drink will take over and rule you. And that's what happens. 
Over there in Proverbs, it says that um, when, when they mess up with that alcohol, it says when they wake up from being hung over, yet will they, seek it, they will seek it yet again. It's addictive. It'll mess you up. I just have a little bit. Yeah, for now you would. I just have a little bit of sin. Yeah, for now you will. And it'll get worse. Verse 6, Peter was sleeping. He was in bondage, but he was sleeping. You say, why? Well, we become perfectly content in bondage. We've lived there so long that it's our normal life now. There's a comfort zone in bondage. We construct to survive. Abused wives and children learn how to survive in the bondage of abuse sometimes. And they even become content to stay there when they, when they are enduring those things. Verse 7, the Bible says, The light shined in prison. God sometimes, you know what He'll do? He'll bring you to a service just like this and He'll shine some light on the sin. And the, the light will shine in and it will shine on your problem and He'll point it out to you. The Bible says there in verse 7, He smote Peter on the side. The angel did. Do you know what the Holy Spirit will do? He'll reprove you. You've had that happen before, you, before during the preaching, right? Where you get that, that nudge in your side and uh, that punch in the ribs. And that's not just done by wives, okay? That's done by the Holy Spirit too. <laughs> Any of you that's been married and got a wife, they, they've got the chicken arm disease, you know? They're, the preacher's preaching. That, it's an involuntary response. You think they're doing half the chicken dance or something. The Bible says there in verse 7, raised him up and the chains fell off his hands. Peter was free at that point. What did he have to do to be made free? He didn't do anything, did he? God pointed out the problem. The light shined. He sent conviction. He smote him on the side. And Peter was delivered at that moment. God wants us to live and have a life more abundant. Jesus Christ in John 10 said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That doesn't mean living in a cage, amen? Not a life of bondage. God delivers us. This sin, uh, um, God delivers us and helps us not to stay in bondage, but you've got to decide to get out. John chapter 8 and verse 36, the Bible says that... Um, there in John 8.36 it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And if you're free, you're free indeed. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 that God, Jesus Christ came, and you say, why did He come? To deliver us, to deliver us from this present evil world. What does it take to complete your deliverance? Look at verse 8. The Bible says, And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself. Get yourself together. Get some composure. Stop the drama and the emotions and look at it and say, I need to get some help. I need to do something about this. The Bible says there, the instruction was, bind on thy sandals. The prepare to get moving. Prepare to change. And, and the Bible says there in Ephesians chapter 6 about the, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Bind on thy sandals. Verse 8, he says, Cast thy garment about thee. You say, well, Whose garment are you supposed to be wearing? You're supposed to be wearing the garment of Jesus Christ, aren't you? I traded in the old, old, old one and God gave me new. 
in Jesus Christ. I got His righteousness. Cover yourself in the righteousness of God, which is, which is Jesus Christ. Get as close as you can to God as possible. The Bible says, draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to thee. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? You didn't have any problem. Do you have any problem getting rid of unrighteous friends when you got saved? Not if you're living right. Somebody asked me about that this week, and I gave him the same advice that an evangelist gave me. You say, I got friends that are unrighteous, and what am I supposed to do? I said, You witness to those friends, and you be a stand, you stand on the testimony of God's word, and you watch. Those friends won't want to be friends with you for very long. Amen. Having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. A reproof is not a rebuke. When they say, I want to go to the club, you say, I don't go there anymore. I'm saved, and I'm a born again child of God. And you watch. You do that two or three times and they'll find an excuse not to ever come back to your house anymore. You say, why? Because they'll be under conviction. They know if you're not supposed to be going, they shouldn't be going either. Amen. Verse 8, the Bible says there that it says, follow me, the last three words, and follow me. You say, what does that mean? Peter had to have submission to that angel and to God's servant. And he had to submit and had to have obedience. And you need to have obedience to the Lord. When God tells you to do something, act on it. You hear preaching, you say, I come to church every Sunday and, and you hear the preaching. And you might not have deliverance from your sin because you refuse to listen to the preaching and to the preacher that God's put in your life. And you won't, you just pick and choose. You're like in the grocery store. I'll take that and I'll leave that. I'll take this and I'll leave that. God wants to deliver you and get you there where you can have freedom in Christ, but you just pick and choose, and you'll never get deliverance that way. Say, God, if that applies to me, hit me right between the eyes with it, help me to do something about it, or attempt to. Amen? Amen. Don't get mad, get right. Amen. How dare him talk about my envy? How dare him talk about my unforgiveness? How dare him talk? Why don't you say, that's right. And say, Amen, and I need to get right. Instead of getting mad, get right. Amen. Verse 9, the Bible says, And he went out and followed. You have to make the first move. The angel didn't tell him to get out. He was the one that went out and followed. The angel of the Lord did not carry Peter out of the prison. You know what people want? They want God to do everything for them. They want to lay there like a vegetable. <laughs> like today's generation. And sit on, the, sit on their, their uh, bed at home and call out and say, Mama, you make me a bowl of cereal. Bring my food to me. Clean my room. Wash my clothes. Get off the bed, you lazy bum, and do it yourself. Man, people are lazy. Kids are lazy. Your mom is not your servant. Amen. Amen. You've got two legs and they're not broke. Use them. And when you get old enough and you, you can pay somebody to wait on your hand and foot and pay them a good wage, then okay. But you're going to have to work to get to that point. Amen. But um, the angel of the Lord didn't carry Peter out. and God's not going to um, animate and inhabit you and you know, walk you around like this and pull the strings like a puppet here. You've got free will. You're going to have to do your part, and God will do His if you'll do yours. Amen? And then verse 9, he says, Wist not that it was true. You don't need to understand everything. 
We stop and choose to remain in bondage because we need to know and understand the future. Uh, but the Bible says we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And we want to see the process. And we want to understand all the jots and tittles and all the turns and twists. And God says, no, obey. Obey. I looked up that word. I was interested in that word obey. It appears 66 times in your King James Bible. You know how many books you got in your Bible? 66. So you know what I say to you? Obey all 66. Amen? And people don't realize it. Obey. Walk by faith and let, trust God with the process. In verse 10, Peter was never alone. You see verse 10? When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate which leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through the street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Peter was never alone for the rest of the, the trip, the rest of the journey out. You know what God will do? God will send His angel or God will walk with you through every obstacle. The first ward, the second ward. You know what that is? That's fortified things in that prison. Sometimes, he was in the deepest, darkest part of that prison. He was obviously in the third ward because he went past the second and then went past the first and then he got out the gate. There's steps to deliverance. But God was with him all the time he was going through them all. And God will be with you. Every obstacle till you're completely delivered. And when Peter was come to himself in verse 11, you see what happened? The point of understanding, just like the prodigal son, the Bible says he was about to throw his face and throw himself in that hog's trough and eat that hog, uh, uh, the, what he was going to fill his belly, the same thing the hogs were eating, the pigs were eating. And the Bible says before he did that, he came to himself. I wonder if he looked down in there through that slop and saw just a broken reflection with all that garbage and all that stuff that pigs eat and looked back and he's about to go and eat the same thing and he said he came to himself and he went back to the father's house. And the Bible says when Peter was come to himself, he came to the point of understanding of what God had done, how God had delivered him. And you say, what did he do? He gave God the glory, amen? In verse 11 he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. He glorified God. Amen. And I'll say this in closing. Deliverance, God's way. And you ought to be desperate for deliverance. He shows you the problem. He sends conviction. He frees you. And at that point, deliverance is your choice. Then you choose to get yourself together to prepare to move or to change, to cover yourself in His righteousness, submit and follow Him, and you lean not to your own understanding, and at the end, you give God the glory. Amen. Amen. And I'll say this in finishing and closing. The worst bondage a man can ever be in is being lost. And that's why John 8.36, where Jesus Christ writes and talks to those ones that are in bondage that are lost, and if you're, if you're here and you've never been saved and you're not sure where you'll spend eternity, don't trust anybody else with your soul except for Jesus Christ. You say, I go to this church and the church told me, you better find out for yourself. Well, my grandma said, you better find out for yourself. You're not going to be judged on what grandma said. You're going to be judged on what Jesus said. And Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life.
I'll encourage you, if you're not saved today, why not come forward during the invitation and get saved? If we can get uh, Sister Hannah, you come. Let's all grab a hymn book there. Let's look at the hymn book, Just As I Am. Just As I Am. Maybe you're wanting a little bit of extra help. I know I needed a lot of extra help in getting some deliverance from sin. The... Up here, we've got a little step here. We call it the altar. We just come and if you want to kneel down and pray, you can as we sing. You can do business with God in your seat where you are. You can do business with God right up here. But if you're lost today and you're not saved, you'd like to get saved, why not come forward? We'll take a Bible in five minutes show you how you can know for sure you can have eternal life. Straight from the Word of God. Not what I say, not what a church says, but what God says about eternal life. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing this song. Just as I am.